What up, what up, guys? This is your boy, Rusty. Thank you for tuning in to episode two. Today, we're going to be talking about recruiting, the process that we went through, our experiences with our recruiters, a couple of funny stories here and there, and then what we see as to be some of the challenges in today's recruiting. Now, full disclosure, none of us have ever been recruiters. We do not claim to be recruiters, and we have never served in a recruitment process. We're just giving from our outside perspective, looking in and the experiences we had. Thank you. Enjoy the show. What up, what up, guys? This is Rusty. Thank you for joining us today on the Common Warrior Podcast. With me, as always, is the awesome Jess. Hey, hey. And a very special guest, a very beautiful woman right here, Destiny, who is still currently active duty as well. Because what is going to be awesome about today is we're going to be talking about all recruiting, whether it is when you were recruited or if you're in the process of being recruited, and just your overall experience, talking, planning, getting what you needed done. So obviously with us three old heads, we went through quite a while ago, but I still have some good memory of mine. Um, Jess has some good memory of hers. And with Destiny here, she actually is a first sergeant for recruiting squadron. So she can kind of address some current topics and current you know, struggles in the, in the recruiting community nowadays. So without further ado, Destiny, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Um, hi, I'm Destiny. I am active duty Air Force. I have been in the military now for about 21 years, coming up on retirement here very soon. What is it, like 10 days now yeah. until I can apply? <laughs> yep, so 10 days until I can apply and then um, so out another year until I'm I'm done. So I'm um, looking forward to getting in here and, and sharing some experiences with everybody. Definitely. Thank you, sweetie. So... Where to begin all of these years ago? I mean, how long ago was it when you went through recruiting, Jess? <laughs> Ooh, it was 2005. It's a long time ago. Yeah. Destiny? Which time? So the first time I went through recruiting was when I did Air National Guard when I first came in, and that was in 2002. And then I came on active duty in 2004, so that was my second experience. Yeah, I only have one. I didn't have a, a leapfrog career like these other two over here. I had one recruiter, one office that I went to. Quite an experience from walking in that first day up and all the way until the bus ride, all the way to basic training. It was it was quite an adventure. You were the bus to basic training, and I will get to that in a second. <laughs> so, um, we want to really try to hit on some stuff here of what we went through in recruiting when we came in and some of the challenges that probably still stem uh, till today, you know, you can change the, you can change policies, you can change how we promote it, but you really only can recruit people one way. It's always kind of stayed the same in those aspects. You get these young kids, young adults in, they have a curiosity, they have questions, you answer them, then you, you self dream as much as you can. But, we are in a bit of a recruiting crisis right now across all DOD in today's day and age. So we think that a little bit of insight on some of that versus what we went through and versus what some challenges are today, we could probably help anybody or in any uh, current members uh, that are even in help kind of understand why. Because we all know somebody who's probably interested in joining or interested in like, oh, hey, um, how has the Air Force been treating you? Like, what's it like? You know, and of course, we want to just tell them it's all sunshine and rainbows because we don't want to 
really turn them off because we need people to serve, but we also don't want to, you know, talk out of our ass and just, you know, bullshit them either. So without any, uh, any trashing of any kind, you know, we don't want to sit here and say, ah, fucking hated our recruiter, he lied to me and stuff like, I mean, it's always kind of a double-edged sword in that area, but Jess, you had what, 10 recruiters? <laughs> um, like a handful, probably about five, I'd say about five in total. Yeah. So she's definitely the more experienced of us all. Um, <laughs> what is, a uh, what is something that you remember from when you first walked into those doors uh, saying, Hey, I want to sign my life away to the government. So kind of like what I talked about in the intro episode was I, I knew that I wanted to join when I was 16. So I went to the recruiter's office after school because I already had a car and everything like that. I walked in and I said, Hey, I'd like to join the air force. And first question the recruiter asked me that I remember is, okay, how old are you? And I said, I'm 16. They said, Hey, come back when you're 17. So when I went back when I was 17, I went with my dad because my dad had retired from the air force. Um, this is my grandfather because I was raised by my grandparents, but he went with me and we started the process of the delayed entry program. Destiny is still a delayed entry, right? Okay. Yep. Um, depth. So depth. Yeah. So the depth program. So I was a junior in high school at the time. And what I did was I went through MEPS, which is the military entrance processing station. Essentially it's your first step to going into the military. I went and did my medical physical, uh, did, you know, all the different evals and everything like that. And my recruiter at the time was an E4. He was promotion eligible to E5. So he was still pretty young uh, to the Air Force, but he was older. He had joined later, but he was super knowledgeable, um, very personable, very helpful. And what I appreciated about my recruiter was that he was not intimidated by the fact that my dad walked in there with me. He was very respectful to my dad, very polite. And he helped me throughout the entire process, that whole year and a half process of going to MEBS, shipping out to basic training, all that good stuff. Uh, and I mean, not every recruiter is the same, right? I was extremely lucky when I came on active duty and something that stuck out to me with my recruiter was when my dad passed away before I went to basic training. Uh, I remember shooting him a text message and saying, Hey, I just want to let you know, my dad passed away. And this was literally four weeks before I was supposed to ship out. And he calls me and he says, Hey, look, I'm super sorry to hear about this. Do you need to push your ship date? And mind you, I'd already been in the debt for over a year. And really, you're only supposed to be in the debt for about 12 months before you ship to basic. But I had to finish my senior year of high school. And I said, no, I'm ready to go. And he was like, are you sure? And I said, yes. Uh, so that, like I said, that always stuck with me. And I really appreciated that about him. So that first recruiter, absolutely stellar. Uh, wherever he's at in life, I'm sure he's doing great things. Um, when it came to my recruiters, uh, joining when I was joining the air national guard, because I was on active duty at the time, we have something called an in-service recruiter that allows you to transition from active duty to the air national guard or the air force reserve. So my recruiter was awesome. I'm still friends with him now. Uh, he was super helpful. My in-service recruiter, um, unfortunately there were some paperwork delays, so my process took longer than normal. Um, but essentially it was just applying for it, getting the commander's approval, getting released from the career field and being allowed to separate from active duty and then continue my obligation in the air national guard. So yeah, after that, it was the army guard. 
um, and another great recruiter. And then um, I went, I came back onto active duty in 2019 uh, as a prior service enlistee, which my recruiter was a little bit younger, um, less experienced, had not dealt with prior service before. So the process took from start to finish about eight months for me to come back on active duty. And it wasn't anything of my fault, really. It was more of, hey, we're having to wait for the paperwork, having to wait for the paperwork because Air Force Personnel Center, sometimes it takes longer than others. And you're at the bottom of the totem pole, unfortunately, when you're a prior, prior service member and you're coming back on active duty. But yeah, I would say my takeaways for dealing with recruiters is when you go in there, just understand that there are things that they have to tell you about the Air Force. There are things that they're going to do for you to get you into the Air Force, but it does not hurt you to have that background knowledge of what you're getting yourself into. Because if you walk in completely lost, the recruiter is going to tell you what they know because they've been in the Air Force or they've been in the Army, Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, whatever. They already know how it is to be in and you don't. So it would be very helpful to have some kind of background on the branch that you're joining before you just sign on the dotted line and say, yes, I'm going to go do this job. Yeah. Did you ever like, I know your uh, dad and whatnot uh, was retiree, but did you ever talk to like any friends that you already knew were in, try to get a little perspective? Did you know anybody that was enlisted at the time? So my birth mom was in the Air Force at the time. And yes, I did talk to her a little bit. And she was one of the people who advocated for my dad to go with me because when she joined, she didn't really have anyone to help her out. She had talked to my dad, but she didn't have him there with her. And she joined, I think she was like 21 or 22 and she joined. So she wasn't in high school at the time, but yeah, I'd kind of talked to her about like, Hey, you know, what job should I do? Like, you know, is he telling me the truth? Is this kind of how it is? And she could kind of fact check that stuff for me. Um, and my dad could kind of do the same thing. But as far as like friends and stuff go, most of my friends joined the Army Guard back home in Florida because that's what we had. It was what was most available. So I was one of the first to actually get out and join the Air Force. Cool, cool. Man, uh, was there any time when you went through like MEPS processing and like finally getting a ship date and a job locked in and then you taken off to head to basic that anything ever felt like kind of just out of whack, crazy, something that maybe didn't go quite as right or did you, or you felt like you didn't have enough information? I wouldn't say when I shipped to basic that I felt like I didn't have enough information. When I got into tech school is when I didn't really understand the job that I had signed up for because they yeah. were like, Oh yeah, you're going into supply. Well, when I got to basic training, like the people issuing their uniforms were supply troops, right? I don't know if it's yeah. if it's still the same way now. I don't think that it is. I think it's all uh, civilian folks now. But back then, we had military people issuing out our, our basic initial issue. And I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to be doing in the Air Force, right? And just then I get the tech school, and they're like, <laughs> yeah, right, just managing clothes. Like, this is easy, right? And then they're like, oh, no, this is – you're going to be managing, like, aircraft parts, and you're going to have to, like, manage an armory and – all the battle rattle and stuff like that. And I remember when I, when I talked to my recruiter and I think we've talked about this before, Rusty, when I called my dad and told him what I thought my job was going to be when I, I was like, it was a week before they were assigning our jobs. And my recruiter goes, Hey, so you're going to get to qualify on the M nine. And I was like, Oh, the M nine. It's like, that's cool. I thought we only qualified on the M 16 in basic training there. He was like, no, you're going to get a chance to qualify on the M nine. 
And I was like, oh shit. So my first immediate thought was, oh, I got security forces. I'm going to be a cop. <laughs> right. And that was the one thing that my dad was like, I don't want her to be a cop and I don't want her to go into POL. So I called my dad on the way home because the recruiter's office was like half an hour away. And I was like, dad, I think I got security forces. And he was like, absolutely not. There is no fucking way you're going into security forces. I'm talking to your recruiter tomorrow. I was like, dad, dad, dad. I said, he didn't tell me for sure. He just said that I'd be able to qualify with an M9. And he goes, okay, well, when do you find out what your actual job is? I said, next week, I'll find out next week. And he was like, okay. He goes, if I find out next week, he goes, I'm talking to your recruiter. I said, okay, dad, got it. Well, the next week comes along. I go to my debt meeting and my recruiter's like, uh, Jennings, you got material management. I was like, material management. I said, I thought she said I was going to get to qualify with an M9. He's like, yeah, you have to man the armory. And I was like, oh, okay. And still at that point, I had no idea that I was not going to be issuing out clothes that I was actually yeah. going to be working with aircraft parts. And I was like, all right, cool. That's always fun. Yeah. It was a good time. Destiny, what do you remember about your recruiting time? Hmm. So um, when I first came in in 2002, so my dad was active duty Air Force at the time and um, kind of helped me through the process a little bit. Um, ironically enough, my dad was active duty Air Force and worked for active duty recruiting, but I was going into the Air National Guard. So, <laughs> um, so I went into the Air National Guard and um, my recruiter was pretty cool. I cannot remember his name. He was a staff sergeant. I do remember that. But I remember the process, maybe because I was young and didn't have any health issues or anything like that. I remember it being relatively easy. I did have to go into the debt program for about six months because I was still in high school. And I do remember my parents having to sign off on my paperwork. So um, he was a good guy. I, I do remember that. Um, like I said, I don't, I don't really remember much about it because it was just so smooth. Everything went, went really good. Um, when I came on active duty a few years later, my recruiter, I do remember him and he actually went on to be a command chief, um, at, uh, he was the PACAF command chief at one point. Um, before he retired, actually. And uh, he was a really, really good guy as well. Um, he answered all of my questions. He was really patient with me coming on from guard to active duty because it was a process at the time. And actually, right after I got accepted um, at the time, they had only accepted. This was in 2000 and 2005. So I say I came on in 2004, but that's because how they adjusted my active duty dates. So this was actually in 2005. Um, he was super patient with me, just went through everything with me. Um, and at the time they were only accepting, I want to say like 12 people or some, something crazy like that. And I got one of those slots. So, um, I came in as a personnelist and then from personnel, I went to, um, information management when I was still in the guard. And then when I came on active duty, I came back on as a personnelist. So, um, my, so my recruiting experience was, I mean, pretty uneventful, honestly, it was, it was good because I had people that were willing to work with me and that were patient with me. Um, but I work in a recruiting squadron now, as stated before, and, um, for any recruiter out there listening right now, I do not claim to be a recruiter or know the ins and outs of your job because that is something that I learned very quickly is that don't speak about recruiting unless you're a recruiter. 
But um, I can tell you that I'm a first sergeant for recruiting and I deal with recruiters every single day and I and I sit in the meetings and everything and I hear about what goes on a lot. So uh, again, can't speak to the actual process of it, but I can say that um, recruiters have a, a soft spot in my heart for sure because they really do go through a lot and they go through a lot with their families and um you know, just working, working a lot. They work a lot to try to meet that goal um, that they have, you know, and, and the thing too, that you got to remember is if one person is out because, you know, maybe they had baby leave or they got sick or they have to have surgery, that goal doesn't go away. So that has to have, those numbers have to go to somebody else. There's no way that that goal is just going to go away because that person is gone. So it's still on that flight to make sure it gets done. And that puts a lot of pressure on them. So if any recruiters are out there listening to this, I'm proud of you. Um, I really do respect you. And I tell my squadron this every single time I get up to talk to them. I could not do what you guys do. A lot of people think that it's hard to be a first sergeant. And in some ways it is. Um, but I could not be a recruiter. Uh, I taught tech school for four years. And, you know, we can talk about that later. But um I thought that dealing with 18 year olds in tech school or AIT um, was hard because a lot of them think they know a lot more than you do, even though they've only been in the military for five minutes. But um, <laughs> I can't imagine having to keep the interest the um, in the debt program and trying to make sure that people are um, interested in just selling the Air Force, not selling jobs, but selling the Air Force and the lifestyle on people, especially, you know, with today um, and all the stuff that's going on. Um, I can't imagine having to do that, you know, and then picking up those extra numbers. And then we also have to recruit special warfare. Um, and, you know, the candidate pool for that's pretty low. So um, we have a lot of people that apply, but who are actually qualified and then make it all the way to the end that that's a struggle too. So, um, I know that was a, a long way of saying <laughs> a lot about recruiting, uh, but to answer your original question, my, my recruiting, both of my recruiters were actually really good. And, uh, like I said, pretty uneventful because I don't really remember much about it because it was 21 years ago. So, <laughs> Damn, am I the only one with a crazy recruiting story right now? Like, you have a crazy recruiting story. Yeah, I mean, seriously, you guys are well, boring. I'm joking, but no. It, the thing about the thing about what she's saying, you know, especially like with like how she's like the recruiters keeping the attention span of these young kids nowadays, because you know, yeah, you know, how we dated ourselves in the last episode when we came in. Facebook barely hit the market, and yeah. boy, I was still hooked on MySpace. You know. That, that's where we were. We weren't sucked into this blind, fake reality on social media, you know, and trying to become all these content creators and influencers, like, you know, and YouTubers that like kids want to do nowadays, right? Um, As we sit here on a podcast. Exactly, you know, but we earned it. <laughs> but, uh, but the thing is, though, is like, I can see like how hard it would be. If I, if, if today's day and age, like I was 18, 19 and I'm saying, I want to go join, you know, the military and, and I walk into an air force office and then hear everything that I did then today, and then have to keep my interests while I'm waiting to ship out, while I wait to go to MEPS and all the stuff like that. I mean, it's hard to keep my interest while I'm just sitting on the couch drinking coffee. I won't, I won't even hold it, hold to a point after that, you know? 
just think about if I was still if I was still young and to that point and trying to enlist today, I couldn't imagine it because it it took everything in me to to follow through after I started because a lot of people didn't think I was actually going to do it. They thought I was just like, ah, yeah, he he just. He just went and everything, but he ain't actually gonna go. And then when I left and I came back, they, were, they sat there and told me, they were like, we didn't think you were actually going to do it. Oh, I got that. Too. <laughs> I do remember getting that. Yeah. You know, but it's funny you say that about the social media portion of it too, because um, I've heard that that is a big um, barrier to recruiting as well. So, you know, you talk about Facebook and Instagram and all of that, but Reddit, right? Yeah. All yes. it takes like one or two pieces. So, you know, if you're interested in joining the Air Force, do your research, just like Jess said, do everything. I would take what people say on Reddit for a grain of salt, right? Because maybe they weren't qualified or maybe they had an experience that, you know, uh, a one-off experience that not everybody has. Um, but you can just go out there and put anything out there, right? So they don't speak for the entire applicant pool. They don't speak for all the recruiters. So, you know, you mentioned social media and I feel like that could be a huge barrier to somebody joining or not joining because they're going on there and listening to other people's stories that, again, that's just could be their experience, you know, and they're not telling, and that's only one side of the story. They're probably not even telling the whole side of the story, you know? Yeah. And you know, when you get on places like Reddit, you know, where you can pretty much post anything. Um Yeah. That is true. A lot of those times when you hear those like angry stories about, oh, they did this to me and they did to that. I think that plays into a lot of the whole victim culture that, that goes around now and, and everywhere, especially in the military, because people don't want to take accountability for any part that they did. Not to say that maybe something happened that wasn't on them. And then whenever things start to collapse, clash and stuff like that, then everybody gets a sour taste in their mouth. But then also when they actually do mess up and they just cannot take accountability because they feel like, well, if I admit that I was wrong, then, you know, so they, they figure they can get out of it. Mm -hmm. And it's just not the case. Like, you know, whereas sometimes we, people will get it wrong because, you know, not everybody's perfect. There is no there's no person like when it comes to investigating what you might have did until, and then they prove it. And then you're sitting there trying to talk your way out of it because you just can't stand that you got caught. That's when people get in trouble. That's when people go too far and get kicked out. And then they want to sit there and say, man, these Air Force guys or these Army, whoever, you know, they just, they just had it out for me. And all they wanted to do was just kick me out. So they did this. And I was like, look, man, I don't care if anybody liked you or didn't like you. You fucked up. Just, just you know, admit it. <laughs> and I really, really want to hear your basic training story. But I have a funny story about that. It's a first sergeant story. Um so before I actually put my diamond on as a first sergeant, I was required to shadow. And I was at JBSA, Joint Base San Antonio, and I got the opportunity to shadow a lot of different places. And one of them was basic training. And um, so the the first sergeant there at the time um, was actually Chief Jack. Oh, wow. um, he was senior at the time, but he had given me the phone and he was letting me kind of take the reins for a little bit. Um, and there was an assistant first sergeant in there as well. Um, she didn't have a diamond either, but we all worked together for a little bit. And um, we had, I had the phone one day and I had a parent call me and tell me um, basically that I, I had ruined her her life and her, her daughter's life, I'm sorry. And of course I'm like, I don't even know this girl. What are you talking about, you know? And then uh, come to find out, 
she had gotten disqualified for something um, that she did and um, without getting into too much detail, but she, she called me to tell me I had ruined her daughter's life, but when it really came down to it, when her daughter got discharged and went home, she didn't tell her mom the whole story. All she did was tell her mom that we had it in for her and we targeted her and that's why she got kicked out. And of course I couldn't tell her mom what happened because that's not up to me. Right. Um, and so it, it was difficult, but that was one of those cases that she probably went on Reddit, didn't tell the story about what she actually did to get, you know, discharged, um, and then made it everybody else's, uh, problem. And so that's, that's where I go back to saying, do your research, but do your research from a credible source, um, and take those Reddit pages for a grain of salt with a grain of salt, because like I said, people can just get really nasty on there and talk about their experiences, but you're only hearing one side of the story. And I always like to say those three sides of the story the you know, the two people side and then somewhere in the middle. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah cause like, I've, um, I've lurked on the Reddit quite a while. Um, and I'll get on the, the air force page and there is, there's a good amount of information on there. Cause I've gotten help from people on the Reddit page where I couldn't find it. Right. But you're a hundred percent right. Destiny and Rusty. There are a lot of people who go on there and they feel some type of way and they're going to put it out there for the world. And, it's their perspective. And it's usually when you see people who are bitter like that and they're just talking about like, Oh, the air force did this, the air force did that. Well, first off, what's the whole story? Because this is literally just a blip. Um, and two, like coming from a senior NCO's perspective, I know for a fact that the way that we do corrective action in the air force and the way discipline is supposed to progress in the air force Like you didn't just suddenly show up to work one day and now you're not in the air force anymore. Like you probably did a lot more shit to get yourself kicked out of the air force. Right. Um, And I know that doesn't exactly lead with recruiting, but it is an important factor for those who are interested. (laughs) But what's funny is you say that is like, you don't just show up to work one day and then you're kicked out, you know, just because you messed up that day. Yeah. It's funny because after you, you know, get the whole paper trail going and you just don't stop messing up that will happen. <laughs> One yes. day you'll show up to work and you'll be like, all right, you're gone by the end of the day. Cause I've had to help somebody do that. Cause you got to get escorted when you're getting kicked out. Mm-hmm. Like, they can kick you out in as little as 24 hours. There's no fucking playing around. Well, it just depends <laughs> on AFPC and their timeline and everything. Yeah. I've had that happen before too with somebody, but they had to extend it because they had to have them anyway. Not yeah. the point, <laughs> not the point. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I guess I'll go ahead and get them talk about my recruiting experience I'm sorry now my recruiter <laughs> my recruiter he was awesome he was a he was a chill layback guy man and he kept it simple you know he didn't really go above and beyond like he literally said you know uh air force gonna clothe you air force gonna feed you air force gonna put a roof over your head you know and then they're gonna pay you some all money. true <laughs> he was and he's, he's not lying obviously but he was he was real down and chill you know and um given that I can speak a little bit more freely than my two people here next to me, some of the fun stuff. And I know that a lot of the things you'll, you'll hear from people who went through recruit, went through their recruiters is, you know, stick to the script, right? Because you will get told like, Hey, this is the kind of stuff that gets you 
disqualified or this kind of stuff that might uh, push you back or stuff like that, you know, and all my recruiter told me, he said, you know, he said it three times when I was going to MEPS. He's like, you know, stick to the script, stick to the script. I'm going to say it one more time, stick to the script because we all knew what we had to do, right? So go through MEPS, you know, do the duck walk and get a whole bunch of like 130-year-old doctors looking everywhere. And <laughs> every crevice of your body. <laughs> correct me if I'm lying, ladies, but like the oldest doctors in the freaking world work for MEPS. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah that's just, true. That's still true. Yeah. So um, you go through all that. Of course, you have everybody who's joining. It doesn't matter what branch, you know, it's Army, Marines, whoever. All of us are there at the same place doing the same thing. <laughs> and um, when I was going through the final steps of everything, you know, um, you have to go through and do like your background check, right? Or mm -hmm. like they, they'll ask you those questions. Well, I was sitting, we were sitting in the waiting room. And I had a Marine next to, well, a guy who was joining the Marines next to me and a couple army guys uh, you know, who wanted to join the army. So you get to that point, you know, like, I'm good, I'm good. But then you, you still get a little bit nervous. He was like, I mean, what do, what, what do I not know is on my record that I don't know? You know, like you, you get that little, you get that weird feeling like, am I, is there something on my record? Is there something that I don't know? Because I want to say you the wrong thing. start second guessing yourself. Like, am I alive right now? I am alive at this point, right? <laughs> But the, the guy next to me who was joining the Marines, he was saying, hey, look, guys, my brother, when he joined, his, his brother was a Marine. He's like, when he joined, he came through here. He had a warrant down in Galveston, and they still let him in. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all like, oh, okay. And then, and then on top of that, the funnier part is like I go through. The lady, she's like, any traffic tickets? And I'm just like, no, no, no. No, no. I left, literally left MEPS that day, went to traffic court because I had a ticket I had to take care of. <laughs> nice. But, um, yeah. Nice. But um, it, it was, it was a good experience up to that point. Um, then comes a day when I ship out, right? Because my goal was I wanted to find, get a call, say, hey, got a job, leaves in two weeks. That was like what I wanted. But we all know we work on Air Force time, which is never convenient. And right. then- I got a call. I think I want to say I got a call three times from my recruiter saying, Hey, got a job, leaves this and that. And uh, I would say, Let me call you back. I make a call. I call back. I say, Hey, I'll take it. And he'd be like, Sorry, man, I was filled. Like, you got to give him an answer right then and there. Otherwise, it's gone. And then finally, one, one day, he's like, Hey, I got a job. It was open contract. So I didn't, that means you go in, you don't have a for sure job locked in. You pick your job when you get to basic training. Um, so I was like, You know what? Let's just do it. When's the lead? He said tomorrow. I was like, dang. Okay, cool. So, you know, I just went with it, right? And then um, go up to MEPS and do your last little go through of everything. And I stayed in a hotel that night uh, after I got sworn in, right? Now, Dusty earlier asking me, you took a bus to basic training? Yes. Do I'm I sound like that? Yeah, you do. So <laughs> I live in, you don't guys, sound like I that, Destiny. <laughs> guys, I live in Houston, okay? And all of Air Force goes to San Antonio, right? That's a four-hour drive. They're not going to fly me there. They're going to take, the take the cheapest road possible, right? So they booked me. I had to grand. fly. Well, you came from Florida, right? Yeah. Yeah, so there you go. Um, and what's funny is when you're watching all those videos and maps of like, you know, hey, this is, you know, like the happiest kids on their way to basic training. Wait, so you, 
you didn't get the airport experience then. No, I didn't because I, I took a bus. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. It just dawned on me. I'm a little slow on the uptake. Okay. I'm old. Exactly. So you didn't get to enjoy the airport where you're sweating nervously. And this TI is just looking at you and yelling at you. I haven't even talked about MEPS, but you're just standing there, a nervous fucking wreck. You're just like, oh my God, what have I done with my life? And then these people are like, bah, and like hollering at you. You didn't get to experience exactly. that, Rusty. I'm kind of sad no. about that, actually. You know, me too, because the videos at MEPS made it seem like it was going to be such a polite, you know, flight there. But, um, <laughs> so I get booked to Greyhound, right? You know, they give you your packing list, right? Of like, hey, this is what you need to take to basic training. Yeah. Right? And of course, for guys, they say bring razors because you need to, you know, shave when you get there, right? So I'm going on the, I'm getting to the Greyhound. They're checking the bags and everything like that. These fucking guys made me throw away all my razors because it was a quote unquote weapon. So I show, I get to be that guy that showed up with no damn razors. Oh, you couldn't get on the Greyhound bus with the razors? No. <laughs> I was going to take over a bus with a damn three blade razor. <laughs> I mean, I I'm know, sure somebody has tried it. Yeah, I mean, there's a little sort of reason, right? But yeah. made me throw that all away. I was so pissed. Okay, so hop on the bus. Obviously, it takes more than four hours because, you know, the Greyhound makes stops along the way. So I get to the bus station downtown San Antonio. Um, I called my recruiter. I was like, hey, sir, uh, I just got to the bus station. Is, is there something I need to do? He's like, no, 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 they know you're there. They'll be on their way to pick you up. So I was like, okay, cool. So I just... Sat there for a little bit. I was outside waiting for, you know, like, I don't know, like a big Air Force sign. Like, hey, come to me. Or I don't know. <laughs> but, um, Welcome to the Air Force. We're here to pick you exactly, up. Exactly, right? And uh, He's I, waiting for one of those signs with his name on it. Exactly. Yeah, right? Like, I'm here for Rusty. Is this Rusty? Yeah. So I wait there. Hour goes by. Another hour goes by. I call him again. I was like, hey, sir. Um. I'm still here at the bus station. Nobody's picked me up. He's like, okay, okay. Um, get, hang on one sec. Puts me on hold. Comes back. He's like, hey, they know they're, they're coming. I was like, okay. Four more hours go by. I'm sitting at the bus station in San Antonio for six fucking hours. What time of year? It was in uh, March. So it wasn't a thousand degrees outside? No. Well, that's good. At least you weren't sitting there sweating your ass off. Well, I went back and well, maybe you were. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. But the thing is, I was sitting there for six fucking hours. Oh and my I god! Finally, at like at like hour six, I called him. Was like, "Sir, I am still at the bus station." And he's like, "Okay, let me call you back." And then he calls me back. He's like, "I just talked to them. They are coming." And then like. 30 minutes later, they actually came. So I was like, did you actually like call them before? And, or did you just hope that I was going to get picked up? I sat at the damn bus station in San Antonio for six hours and it was like, it was dark, dark. Right. So I finally get to the play, get to basic training and then go through everything. But it's just like, I, I couldn't have had a worse experience getting to the damn gate at that point. Like, Oh my God. I just, I just couldn't believe it. And everybody I told her, like, same same reaction as you two. Like, you took a bus here? I'm like, <laughs> apparently that's just not a thing that anybody knows because no, I'm it the makes only sense. person. It, it makes mean, sense because no, sometimes I forget you, you grew up in Texas, you know? Yeah. Because we took planes, so little, 
you know, it's it's the tunnel yeah, vision I thing. I actually got sick on my plane on the way there. I started getting an ear infection. So I just like played it off. Like, I'm like, no, it'll be fine. You know how like your ears pop when you get on the plane or whatever? Yeah. And then we go to land and I'm like, man, my ear hurts. My ear hurts. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to ride it out. You know, just thinking it had something to do with the plane. And then I got there and like three days later, I was like, I should probably go to the doctor and get this checked out. And then they were everybody in my flight, you know, like, you're probably going to get sent home. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure it's the same for y'all. I wasn't too far behind you. I mean. You know, I was still in grade school when y'all joined. Yeah, thanks. but um, uh, no, you were not. Yeah, I was. <laughs> um, but you guys, the three nineteenth was the was the broken squadron, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that was where everybody was afraid. Like, guys, I, I know it's different now, but guys, back in our day, like you, the last thing you wanted to do is saying, "Hey, you're getting sent to the three nineteenth because Oof. that meant yeah. you were probably going to be stuck there for the unforeseeable future. So it's still that way because that's the it's not the 319th anymore, but they do have a holdover squadron. And um, it's still that way that people get stuck there. But that's just because of AFPC. It's because of like, you know, people are going through, you know, different situations that have to get resolved at some other level. So a lot of it is like beyond anybody's control. But yeah, you're right. Um, There's a lot of people that get stuck there. And I know I was always told that too. And it's funny you say that because there was a girl in my flight who... (laughs) went to the 319th because she said she couldn't take it and she wanted to go home. She made a mistake. Um, And she got there and she went to the, you know, first few days, went to the 319th and the week we were graduating, she was still there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's still basic training. Like it's not, you know, you don't get to do whatever you want to do. And, you know, it's, it's still very much basic training. They, but they're just kind of they're just kind of babysitting you and then just still treating you like you're a trainee at the point in time. It's, so it's the way I like to describe it is like you're in prison, right? Because you get a time you get to shower, <laughs> a time you get to use. I'm serious. A time you get to use yep. the phone, sleep in an open bay, right? Like mm-hmm. every single time you leave that building, you have to be accounted for when you leave, when you come back, using a 341, you know. Um, and so <laughs> it's I equate it to being like in prison, right? So. Um, and you can't leave, you know, after a certain point, you're stuck there. Um, so it's uh, very much so. And when you do have appointments, you have to be escorted. So it's not like you could just go off on your own. Um, yeah. Some people can, depending on situations. But um, so, yeah, I uh, but they that girl and, and from what I was told from somebody who still talked to her, she didn't get out of there for a few weeks after we graduated and we were already in tech school. So. Yeah. yeah, that's that's pretty typical. Um, I, and they do the same thing in the Army, too. You have your holdover squadrons. I know all the uh, different basic training detachments, they all have something similar to what we had when we went through Air Force Basic. Um, I'm looking forward to our basic training episode because we're going to have so many stories for it. Um, but I actually had a question for you, Destiny. Um, so obviously, you know, Rusty and I are trying to use this platform to kind of help people with getting into the military, kind of giving them the advice and stuff, and then also being there for veterans. But what are some of the things that maybe you haven't touched on already as far as recruiting is concerned, things and advice that you could give to people out there who are listening, um, just to point them in the right direction when it comes to recruiting? Yeah, sure. So um, again, I'm not a recruiter. (laughs) 
I want to make <laughs> yep. that very clear. Um, but you know, just just in my experience and in, in talking with recruiters and stuff, um, it's a lot of what you said. Doing your research beforehand, you know, and just making sure that you're asking questions and um, that you're you're asking all of the, you don't want to just hold back on a question because you think it's a dumb question, right? Like if you're coming into the military, the Air Force specifically, and you don't know how something works, just ask the question because the last thing that you want is to be blindsided by something later on, you know, and then it comes down to that whole, my recruiter didn't tell me type of thing. So mm -hmm. just being open and, and, um, you know, and the recruiters will be transparent with you. You know, I know some people have like horror stories about recruiters, but I can honestly tell you like, all of my recruiters are great and I know that they're they're honest with people because they don't want that person to get disqualified at the last minute. You know, they don't want just as much as as um, as that person wants to join, like they want them to join too and have the experience. So um, I would say do your research, ask questions. If you have a family, if you have a girlfriend, if you have a boyfriend, bring that person in to talk to the recruiter as well. Because too many times I have seen where um, people who want applicants that come in will want to change their mind at the last minute because their significant other, their parents, um, their girlfriend, boyfriend don't have um, don't have all the information, right? And they didn't get to ask those questions, and so. Um, they just go off of Reddit or whatever, right? And then they convince that that young um, applicant not to apply. And so um, I would just say, write down your questions. Also be very forthcoming with everything. There is a waiver for almost anything. Um, not everything, but there is there are waivers. Um, and so just be forthcoming with everything because the last thing that you want is to go to MEPS before you ship out and something show up, you know? Um, in your record. And then the other thing too, is when you're in basic training and say that you have a special warfare job or a job that requires you to have a um, top secret clearance, they have a team down there that'll interview you and whatever you tell them versus what you told your recruiter is going to come up. So just be yeah. completely 100% honest with everything. If you're honest, that recruiter will 100% do what they can to get you to get you in and, and be successful. And, and write down your questions. Um, and like I said, bring whoever might be an outside influence um, to come in and speak with the recruiter with you. Yeah, for sure. I think um, the way I kind of see it now, you know, almost, almost 18 years after I did it, I mean, going to the recruiter and talking to him is basically your job interview for the Air Force, right? But yeah. you're also interviewing your recruiter. It's just like when you go into any kind of job interview, not only is your interviewer interviewing you, but you're interviewing them, right? And you want to kind of see what that culture is going to be like. And that recruiter is that first step. They always say basic training, you know, your, um, your drill sergeant, drill instructor, MTI, um, recruit division commander, whoever it is, that that's your first stop in the military. It's your recruiter. So uh, I'm with you, Destiny. I have friends who are recruiters. Uh, they have a soft spot in my heart too, because they have a very difficult job and they do it really well. Um, and right now we're just in a pivotal point in our nation where there are opportunities for people on the civilian side that maybe didn't exist prior to, you know, 10 years ago. Um, but it's still important for people to understand that, hey, military service is a good thing. 
Like this isn't just some shit organization. We do get shit on a lot and there's a lot of bad stuff in the news, but if you kind of take away, you know, the media aspect of it and you just talk to a person who's serving like we are, like it's not a complete shit show. There are a lot of shit shows out there, but there's going to be shit shows in the military, just like there's shit shows in the civilian sector. Just yeah, give yourself and a And that's exactly what I was going to say. I think any career you go into, it, it's never going to be perfect. There's always yeah. going to be issues. Um, there's always going to be issues on the outside too. So, you know, take what other people say with a grain of salt, get credible sources and make sure that you're asking all those questions that you need to ask. Um because the recruiters are going to be transparent with you. For sure. Rusty, you got um, any parting thoughts? Uh, I, I mean, I always got a lot of crap to say, but <laughs> what I wanted to ask real quick uh, for y'all, did y'all do rap? Yes. Yes. You did? Mm -hmm. For those who don't know, that's recruiter assistant program. When you come back home from tech school, you can get what's kind of as free leave as, as you could put it while you go work with the recruiter's office. A lot of people will do that. They'll add it on top of the leave they're going to take when they when they get done with tech school. But um, did you guys have any fun stuff that ever happened in there at that point in time, like seeing applicants come in and seeing how your recruiters handle it? You know what? I, I do remember one guy coming in, um, and he didn't qualify. I don't know if this is really like an interesting story. He didn't qualify, but you know, what the recruiter did, I thought was pretty cool was he said, Hey man, like you don't qualify for the air force because of X, Y, and Z, but you might qualify for the army. So let me walk you next door and, and see what you can do over there. I know that's funny, right? <laughs> like it's now, but, but I thought that it was pretty cool that he wasn't just like shutting him down and being like, no, you, you know what I mean? Like he physically walked him next door and said, Hey, can you help this guy out? You know? You know, that's funny you bring that up because I've seen recruiters do that. I actually did see that, um, not when I was on rap or anything, but just when I was going through my process with the army guard, um, there were, you know, Marine recruiters who were like, hey, man, like, and I don't know why these applicants weren't qualified to join the Marine Corps. But for whatever reason it was, they were like, hey, let me take you, you know, next door to the Army recruiter or something. It could have been the tattoo policy because I know the Marines have a very strict tattoo policy. Yeah. They're like, and the same thing with the Air Force at the time, too. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that's super important because I've seen those guys kind of build those bonds. Like it doesn't matter what branch you're in. Like if you're a recruiter, like they, they tend to bond pretty well, at least from, yeah. from what I've seen. Well, and, and too, like all of my recruiters right now, a lot of them share space with other, and, and we're really pushing total force right now. It's a huge mm -hmm. thing that we're pushing. And so we really do, um, send applicants over to the other branches if they don't qualify, um, and, and they're all just, you know, they all work really well together. Yeah. And that kind of sets us up for, you know, when we get into the operational military and we're having to do that joint stuff and we're working with other branches and things like that. If you can kind of see that when you're coming in as an applicant, like, Oh, I see this air force sergeant working with this army sergeant. Like, Oh, is this how it's going to be in the air force? Like, yeah, it is. You're going to be working with other branches. So I think it's mm -hmm. important that we kind of, we kind of show that, you know, right at that entry level, like first eyelid look. I feel like Rusty has a rap story. I feel like no? he does too. I do. I do but okay. Jess, do you? No, maybe. Um, no, I uh, nothing 
nothing crazy interesting. I just went to my high school and spoke to everybody in my junior ROTC class. That's about it. Yeah, I I remember going to the high school a couple times. But um, (laughs) oh god, when I was at RAP, after I came, when I got done, I came home and I was sitting there at the recruiter's office. Um, not my recruiter, but you know the, the the recruiting office had two recruiters, my recruiter and then the other one. I was sitting there, and there was this guy that came in. He was talking to the other recruiter, and apparently, a while back, before both of the my recruiter and that one got there uh, to replace the previous ones, this guy came in and had already like had all this stuff worked out like waivers in place and everything because he had, a f- he had some stuff that could disqualify him, but he, the recruiter at the time busted his ass, got all these waivers and all this other stuff, had him set up for a shit date and everything. And then this dude just dropped off the face of the earth. Oh my God. God. Yeah. And that, and I can imagine, you know, that just, that's very just cringy and pisses a lot of people off, it especially when he a did lot. Yeah. yeah. Well then here he comes back. Oh. Right. So he's sitting there talking to the other recruiter and I'm right there. I can hear everything and I'm enjoying what I'm hearing because it's so damn funny. Um, this dude was sitting there laying out just like, it's like he pulled out a scroll from his pants and he just whipped <sighs> it out and he started reading it. Like it was so much stuff. He was in there. Yeah. I had, um, I had a conviction back in so-and-so date. And then I, and then I had to do probation from here to there. And then um, I didn't graduate high school, but I got my GED and whatnot. And then I have uh, this one thing, but he he had already moved away, gotten the waiver for me and whatnot. And like he just kept going on and on. And this recruiter is just sitting there, laid back, hands on, you know, just staring at him, listening, not blinking, not moving, just listening to this what the fuck moment. And then when he finally finished, like a couple minutes later of explaining all this stuff, the recruiter still pause staring at him not moving listen man you should have probably came when you had the chance because i ain't doing that just just immediately to him i was like oh my god like you know what just shut him down (laughs) i like hearing that because i do hear stories like that sometimes too maybe not that extensive but you know where recruiters you have they have to have boundaries too right you know yeah and if it's if it's somebody that they don't feel like is going to be a good candidate for whatever reason, or if they, you know, if they want to try, they can, but having boundaries with uh, applicants is a good thing. So I actually like hearing that. Yeah. That guy was not happy when he left, but I'm sure he wasn't, but it was just, it was just like, wow, that recruiter actually had it set up where this dude could get in. He just didn't go when he should have. And then of course, by the time he came back, everything has changed because the air force and all the branches, you know, they stuff changes along the way, but like, Hey, we're no longer going to take way, take these waivers mm-hmm. anymore. Like you could got, you could have gotten a waiver for a GE to come in, but a lot of times they're not going to even do that now. Like it's just, it, it's all crazy about how stuff, how quick stuff will change though. But getting back to what you said, as far as my parting thoughts, in addition to what you guys say, do your research, do your research. What I wish I could have thought ahead at one point in time is kind of how I wanted my life to go, right? Not necessarily, oh, I'm going to join, I'm going to do 20 years and boom. I had no aspirations of staying in for 20 or even as long as I did anyways. But think about what it is you want to do with your life. Like, do you want to be an engineer? Do you want to be um, a, a coder? Do you want to be in, in security or something? Like, Something that interests you, but you know, you 
don't have the ability to go to college on your own without racking up massive debt. Try to see what can translate as to what you want to be into those military career career fields as much as possible. It might not it might not be in one branch, but it might be in another branch. We all have a lot of the same jobs, but then there's also very unique jobs per branch. So if you can try to tie in what you want to do as a civilian or, you know, when you grow up, kind of a feeling, see if you can't find that kind of similar, if not exact thing in the military and just make it that much easier for you because you're going into something that interests you. Because I think too many people join and come in, they take their first the first selection because they just want to, they just want to get it going. And I understand that life. Sometimes you gotta, you have no choice and you're at rock bottom. You need to, you just need to take what you can get. I understand that. But if you have the ability to wait and be patient, do that. Because if you make two decisions too fast and just cause you want to do something now and not later, that is a very big recipe for disaster. in as far as, how happy you might be with, with your career and how long you stay in. Because you might not get a high enough score in the ASVAB right off the bat to get the job you want. Okay, it's not the end of the world. Go study. When, you're, when your uh, dwell time on that is done, go take it again. Like, just be patient. If the job that you want right now isn't open, be patient and wait for it to come open. If you have that ability, I just really, really suggest that you take that moment to take a step back, be patient, and really try to strive and get what you actually want versus take what you can get. Yeah, I echo that um, because I've I've had friends who have come in, uh, they shipped just to ship out, and they ended up in a job that they hated, and then they couldn't, you know, reclass, retrain, whatever. And then they were completely miserable in the job that they were in and they got out after four years. And it could have been that they would have wanted to stay in longer if they had been in a job that they enjoyed. On the flip side of that, let's say you do come in because your circumstance, you know, requires you to come in because you got to get a roof over your head. You got to get money in your, in your bank account, right? Now you can come into a job, get your job training. First off, put that absolutely priority one, get your job training do whatever you need to do for that first year and then go to school for what you want to go to school for. The military is going to give you the money to go to school and, and you're going to have the time, especially if you're single, if you're young and, you know, not having a family. Now, if you do have a family, that's a little bit more of a prior a prioritization juggle for you. However, there are plenty so of opportunities awesome. for you to go to school. Yeah. And to get certifications and things like that. So don't let a job necessarily stop you if you're in a situation where you can't take that time. But I 100% echo Rusty, take the time, figure out what it is you want to do because you're able to. The best time for you to figure it out is before you join. Don't wait until after, because if you wait until after, I promise you it gets tougher and it's a lot more selective. So yep. wait and get what you want. Yep. And don't get married in tech school <laughs> or AIT or, or a school or whatever it is. Just wait. <laughs> yeah. oh, man, but guys, I really hope you enjoyed this recruiting episode. Um, if you guys have any uh, interesting stories you want to share, remember, go to the Instagram, the common warrior and shoot us a text, shoot us an email, shoot us a DM. We would love to hear it. Um, any ideas for topics, any feedback, please. We want to hear it. Uh, 
if you're listening, but you haven't followed, please hit that follow button. Go follow us on IG. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, thank you for coming on, Destiny. And yes, thank you, Destiny. Yeah, no problem, guys. And we will see you next time. Later. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in and we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure to drop us a follow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts at The Common Warrior. You can also find us on Instagram at Common Warrior Podcast. Take care and join us again for our next episode. Thank you.